Hey there, Marcus here. It is my joy and privilege to serve as pastor here at Awaken Church in Juneau, Alaska. I pray that in the next few moments, the, the word of God proclaimed is a blessing to you and is nourishing to your soul. But we believe here at Awaken that one of the ordinary means of God's grace in our life is the gathering of the people of God. We believe that it's in the gathering that, that we're known and that we know one another. That it's in the gathering that, that we are shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you this Sunday to come and join us. Come and worship with us. But for now, I pray that you're encouraged by this sermon. God bless. Uh, would you grab now your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the word of the Lord together. All right, this is God's word. It's Jesus speaking to the 11 uh, disciples. Judas has now left uh, the scene, and Jesus is... Um, spending his last evening with his disciples. And he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us now to understand just what you mean uh, by abiding in you and also what it means for your word to abide in us. I pray, Lord, that this, um, that this uh, parable of yours would uh, ring true to us by your spirit, that, you, that Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate the eyes of our hearts to, to behold, uh, behold your truth, behold your glory together this morning. May we be encouraged to go from this place and uh, be all the more uh, diligent and hungry, Lord, for, for the pure 
milk of the word, I ask in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so we find ourselves now um, at that time of year where uh, many people begin to take stock of their lives, right? It's kind of that transition, that annual transition where we all, uh, to one degree or another, begin to examine our lives and kind of consider some of the things uh, that, that we're missing, some of the things that have been kind of left out in the last year, or some changes that, we've like, that we'd like to make. And I've always thought that this is a really good practice. I don't, I don't uh, uh, find anything wrong or uh, with New Year's resolutions or anything like that. In fact, I, I believe that as Christians, uh, we should be diligently in, in re- on a regular basis examining ourselves to see if we are in the faith, uh, to look at our lives and see if there are various things that are actually pulling us away from, uh, from the Lord and the things of the Lord and, and, and things that we, we might put into our lives throughout the year. It shouldn't just be an annual thing, but re- really an ongoing thing in, in our lives. But this time of year, everybody is really, really starting to take stock. And on top of resolutions to, to eat healthier diets and to exercise more often, and, and above and beyond the increased sales of, of gym memberships and uh, treadmills from Amazon, there is uh, amongst believers, at least in the West, I, I can't speak for uh, different cultures around the world, but in the Western church for, for the last number of generations, it, it seems to be kind of the popular thing to, to make every year this kind of annual resolution to read through God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book from Genesis to Revelation throughout the course of a calendar year. And so many believers, I'm sure many of you and, and all over the place are, are um, perhaps purchasing a new Bible where they can take new notes throughout the year and thinking about the place that you're going to set aside in your home and, and deciding the time of day that will work within your schedule to get alone with God and his word. And on January 31st, many will set their alarm clock back an hour earlier than what has become normal to get up and to spend time in the word of God. Now, if that's your goal for 2020 to finally, for the first time, or perhaps again, read through God's word throughout the course of a calendar year. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but I'd like to just let you know this morning that you're probably not going to make it. Uh, You're probably not going to accomplish that goal. Just a reality check, you're probably gonna miss some days. And then you're going to get discouraged and the weeks are going to turn into months. And all of a sudden the plan and the goal of reading through God's word is is thrown off base. You're probably not going to accomplish the goal. But here's the encouraging thing I have to say to you this morning. You should try anyways. You should give it a shot anyways. Because there is tremendous blessing for the believer in a regular diet of the word of God. In fact, to say it a a, a little bit further, that there is, that, that salvation itself comes by hearing the word 
of God. There is tremendous value, tremendous benefit, tremendous blessing in regular time in the word. It's my hope that before we end our time together this morning that um, waiting till January 31st to begin your Bible reading plan will seem too long from this moment and, and we would have in our hearts an increased desire to be all the more diligent to know God through his revelation to us in the scriptures. But I want to clarify something for you this morning. I want to remind you that there is no merit badge in heaven for believers who read through the Bible verse by verse. There is uh, no, um, no badge of honor or accomplishment. It doesn't make us better Christians. It doesn't save you. It doesn't earn your salvation or favor to make it through the Bible in a year. It just doesn't. And I think it's good for us to remember that we are saved not by what we do, but by what Christ has done. You see, so often when we take stock of our lives, we we begin to put together a punch list of what we are going to do. And if we're not careful, though we know our doctrine, we know that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is not by works that no man may boast. We know that in our minds, but oftentimes in our actions and in, in our frame of mind, we begin to organize our lives as if what we do for God somehow earns us the favor of God, and it's just simply not true. That's why so often when we fail, and fail we will, we often become so discouraged that we just don't pick up the mantle again. That we don't return to the Lord and return to a place of obedience of what he has called us to do. Now, don't hear me say that, that there are not things that we ought to be doing, right? Jesus says in our text this morning, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, there is no commandment in the Bible to read the Bible, but you will not know the commands of God in the Bible if you do not read the Bible. That's simple enough, right? That's, that's some pretty elementary stuff. But we don't earn anything by accomplishing reading through the scriptures in a calendar year. And in fact... It is not what we do, but who we are that leads to what we do. I say that one more time. It is not what we do, maybe I'll put it this way, it's not what we do that makes us who we are in Christ, but it is who we are in Christ that dictates and motivates what we do. So, Reading the word of God does not make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. But hear me this morning very clearly. There is not on the face of the earth today, nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be a true believer in Jesus Christ who is saved, who does not love the word of God. Now, you may be in a season where you don't feel motivated to pick it up and read it. And if you feel no sense of um, 
I'm grasping for the right word, but a sense of shame or disappointment perhaps in not desiring that. If you just like, well, take it or leave it, you have a problem. You have a problem. Because it is in the heart of the believer to know our God and we know him through his word, through his word. Now, oftentimes when I preach a sermon like this, when we look at texts like this, someone will inevitably come up to me afterwards and say, well, what about people that don't have access to the God's word? Are they Christians? Now, remember, I did not, I, I said a moment ago that it, it is not reading the word of God that makes us a Christian. But Christians desire to know the word of God. And so in those places where the word of God is not uh, in multiple copies on the shelf like it is in probably most of our homes, and in places in the world where it's not available on our phones, and there we have one in the backseat of our car, and, and everywhere we go, and boxes of them here at the church that you can take with you and hand them out or keep them for yourself. In places of the world like that, believers cling to scraps of scripture that they hide in the soles of their shoes that they might be obedient to God's word. And they memorize what they hear as people risk their lives to go into countries that, where it's illegal to be a Christian and they memorize the word so they can meditate on the word so they can be obedient to God's word. So there is not a believer anywhere that does not desire hunger and thirst for the word of God. So if you don't hunger or thirst, probably a, a good moment to ask yourself why. What it might be going on in your heart that has caused you to, that desire to be either diminished or to not be there at all. I, I came across an article this week about a man. He was a, a Jew and he decided to read through, uh, through the Bible in a calendar year. He's not a Christian. He, he is secular. He's a, he's a businessman that writes for a, a business journal. And he set out to read through uh, the Bible in a year. And, and unlike uh, many believers, he, he actually made it uh, through because he was writing articles about it. And I read an article here uh, about uh, that he wrote after he had made it through the Bible in a year. And so for the first two-thirds of the article, he, he is uh, singing the praises of the scriptures and talking about all of the benefits from reading uh, God's word. He, he's talking about how the, the stories and, and the people in the Old Testament scriptures were so helpful to him in uh, business dealings that he was having and relational issues that he was having. And he was talking about how um, apparent it is that so much of our culture has come out of uh, the word of, uh, out of the Bible he said. And he suggested that everyone everywhere in the world should read through the Bible. He said it should be required for children in school to read the Bible as much as they read Shakespeare. And he goes on and on and on about all of the benefits to his life from reading the word. And two-thirds of the way down, he said, notice I've said nothing about belief. Nothing about belief. He said, I approached the scriptures an agnostic and I left the scriptures an angry agnostic. He said, despite all the blessing or all the benefits to life and all of the, 
helpful things within the scriptures. I could not excuse God from the war and the famine and the death and the destruction throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And what he saw that many Christians don't see is that God takes responsibility for all of those things. And he said, I I just cannot love a God who is responsible for so much destruction. He goes on to say that uh, when he talks to his friends who are Christians, they, what I would say, these are my words, wrongly advise him, but they advise him, you gotta read past the Old Testament. You gotta read into the New Testament where Jesus comes on the scene and, and is the climax of all of it and remedies all that is wrong. And this man says, I'm a Jew. I could not possibly believe in Jesus. He said, but even if he was the savior and he did die for our sins, I still could not love a God. And it does not excuse God, he says, for his crimes. Now, that man read through the Bible And he left an angry agnostic. So I say to you again, your time in the word does not make you a Christian. It does not earn your salvation. But if the spirit of God indeed dwells in you, your time with the word of God, your diligent study of the word of God will illuminate and open up your eyes more fully to see the beauty of your savior to know the God that you love and to love him more. To see more of his glory and in seeing his glory be sanctified more and more from one degree of glory to the next. To be more obedient to him and so bear more fruit by which the Father is glorified. Those of us who have been ransomed and redeemed by our Savior Jesus Christ have a tremendous blessing of knowing and delighting. Notice the difference? Not just knowing, but knowing and delighting in the word of God. As we look at the words of our Lord this morning, our Savior, these are, as I said, his last hours with his disciples. It are, they are the last hours before he is betrayed, before he is hauled off and there is a false trial in the middle of the night and then he is turned over to the Romans and to Pontius Pilate where he is strung up on a Roman cross, the worst device of death and torture ever devised in history where he would hang there with the weight of the sin of God's people, God's elect, and the weight of our shame upon him and the wrath of the Father poured out on him. And Jesus knows that this is what is just a little while away, that the time has come. And many of you know uh, the other events around this, uh, these hours that the Gospel of John uh, talks about Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayer. But these words of our Lord are right there in the midst of 
this time. He, he has celebrated the final Passover, not just his last one with the disciples, but literally the final Passover meal. He puts an end to that practice and institutes uh, uh, communion instead that we uh, participate together even to this day. He has identified Judas as the betrayer. Satan has entered Judas, literally possessed Judas, by, by the way, not, not excusing Judas from his crimes. But Judas has gone out from them to betray the Lord. And these events, all of these events must take place so that the purpose of God and salvation would be carried out. And here we are in those final moments. And Jesus takes this time to instruct the 11 in, in regards to kind of the big picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To, to not get into the details necessarily, but to kind of in, in broader terms, kind of bring together all that he has been teaching them as, as he is pulled away from the crowd for the last number of, of weeks or months and has instructed his disciples as we've look, been looking together in Mark uh, before Advent. He is instructing them about what it means to be a Christian. And he uses this metaphor of the vine dresser and a vineyard and a vine and branches. And he lays out for them and for us the very basics of what it means to be a Christian, a, Christ, a little Christ, to be in Christ, to be identified with Christ. And in these very hard words, in very straightforward, very black and white, easy to understand words, he says that his desire for us, for them and for us to know these things and to know what it is to abide in Christ and for him to abide in us is that our joy may be full. So I want to start there this morning. I want to start at the end. And Jesus says, I have said these things. I have told you these things, straightforward, black and white, so that your joy may be made full. And even more than that, our joy is full because his joy is in us. Just think about that for a minute. The eternal, perfect, everlasting joy of the Son of God. The joy, the delight that the Son has with the Father and the Father has over the Son and the Holy Spirit has in the midst of the Father and the Son. The eternal, triune joy of God is in you if you abide in him. And if his words abide in you, and if you keep his commandments because you love him, because he loves you, and his love is in you, and your joy is full because his joy is in you. So that's his purpose. 
And he explains by giving this very straightforward pathway. And you have to remember, oftentimes when, when you, we hear preachers preach or we go to um, th- theological classes and, and things like that, we oftentimes, by mistake, in the moment, separate the scriptures from life. And we oftentimes separate our experience and our reality with the, the truth of scripture. And, and so we, we get into the weeds sometimes and we, we have these theological discussions where we say, well, how can the, our love, how can the love of God towards us uh, have nothing to do with what we do and also only be on, in us if we keep his commandments? And we kind of separate those things out and we get confused and we argue about it. And then we come up with ridiculous excuses of why that works. But I, I want to remind you this morning that, that the scriptures and our, our understanding of who God is and our relationship with God is meant to be enjoyed and experienced in life, in actually living our faith out every day. That God has given us his word not to have theological discussions outside of life, but for theology to be in the midst of our life. For what we know and understand and believe about God and his word. To, to be what shapes and forms us. And so when Jesus says something like, look, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. There is this intertwining of us being recipients of free grace and of understanding the reality of that if we have received that grace, we, we long to obey his commands. And that if we hate his law, which the scripture says is good, then we must hate him. You see how those things twine, intertwine together? He says, hey, look, if you keep my word, you, you prove that you love me. Just as I have kept my father's word. You see, sometimes we, we forget that Jesus showed his love for the father by his obedience. And yet we think somehow that our obedience doesn't show our love for our savior. And so he defines this very straightforward path by saying, there's a vine, there's a vineyard, there's a vine dresser. I am, Jesus says, the true vine. Now this is the seventh of the I am statements of Jesus. So throughout the book of John, we see Jesus making these statements. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. But the most explicit one is when he was talking to the Pharisees and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And it was because he said that that they began to seek even more to kill him. Now what's the problem with him saying, I am the bread of life, I am the light. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the true vine. Well, if you remember back, uh, when Moses, when the Lord appeared to Moses in the form of the burning bush and began to tell Moses what he would have him go uh, and do. 
go to Egypt and to deliver his people using Moses out of Egypt, Moses says, well, who, who do I tell them? Send me. And he says, you tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. A better English translation is, I will be who I will be. I will be who I will be. It is God essentially saying, there is no one beside me. I am. I don't have a beginning. Nobody gave me a name. He does, in fact, give himself a name to tell the people. But I am who I am. And so Jesus makes these claims of divinity. And we oftentimes, uh, critics of the scriptures often say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, right. The scriptures say because he claimed equality with God, they sought to murder him. Because when he said, before Abraham was, notice he doesn't say, before Abraham was, I existed. He says, no, before Abraham was, I am who I am. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now what does a vine do for the branches? It is the source of life, right? The source of nutrition, the source of everything that the branch needs to thrive and to grow and to bear fruit. So here's what we have in the, meta, in the parable. Let's just go through it together. It's very simple. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a DIV. You don't need even a GED to understand what Jesus is talking about here, okay? So let's go through it together just very simply. Let's just, this is... 101 here. There's two types of branches, right? There's the real branches that are alive, that are bearing fruit, and there are dead branches that are thrown into the fire, okay? Two different types of branches. Notice that both types of branches look like they are connected into the vine. There's not branches on the floor or branches over in the apple orchard. There are branches that are in the vine that look like they're attached to the vine that are dead, and then there are branches that are attached to the vine that are alive. And there are two outcomes depending on if you're a dead branch or an alive branch. So what we have are branches that are, that are professors of Jesus Christ. These are people who claim to be in Christ, claim to be attached to the branch, right? So this is not talking about the world and believers. This is talking about church folk who are sitting together in this room or listening online, or sitting in churches all over the world, and some of those branches that say, yeah, Jesus is my boy, but are dead branches. And they are intertwined with the branches who are plugged into Christ and who are alive and thriving. Don't look so surprised. It's not the first time you're hearing this. This is not outside of your normal experience. You know, if you've walked with Christ more than five minutes, you know there are people who say there are Christians that are not, Right? In fact, today it's much more clear the dead branches and the alive branches. And so Jesus says there, there's two different types of branches and there's two different outcomes for the branches. So the dead branches, what happens to them? The branches that does not bear fruit get taken away. They're gathered together and they're cast into the fire and they're burnt. No, no doubt some, some eschatological 
imagery there, right? Some end times sort of stuff, some final judgment imagery there as the dead branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire. But the living branches, the abiding branches, they just get left alone, right? No? No, they don't. They get pruned. Rather than being left alone, they get chopped up. The bad parts get cut off. The cancer gets removed. The areas of the branch that might kill and destroy the entire branch are are cut out so that the branch may thrive, may be healthy, may grow, and may bear more fruit. Jesus says, my father prunes every good branch that it may bear more fruit. Verse two. So just quick, very quick explanation on bearing fruit. We understand Jesus is talking about the, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of our salvation. This is the, the, um, the transformation that is taking place in us as a result of our new nature and our new life in Christ. And so the peace, patience, joy, all all of those things, the, the generosity, the love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our, our desire to serve the Lord, to serve one another, all of those kinds of things are, are examples of fruit being born in our lives. They're examples of, of, which, of ways in which God is glorified through our lives. And Jesus says that a branch can not bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. He says, so neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me, unless you abide in me. If you abide in me, in my words, abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I want to clarify quickly. Um, what Jesus means by abide, what the scriptures mean by abide, I think that we have hyper-spiritualized what it means to abide in Christ. Let's just take it simply for what it is. This is elementary stuff here. To abide means to remain, okay? That's all it means. It means to remain in Christ. Anyone who remains in me will bear fruit. Anyone who isn't in me will not bear fruit. Now, I I grew up in a context where we hyper-spiritualized abiding in Christ. Uh, I know many of you might might be familiar with uh, these types of things. So uh, abiding with Christ does not mean an increased quantity or an increased quality of your time in the scriptures. 
You don't abide in Christ more by increasing your devotional time from 20 to 25 minutes in the morning. Now, when I was growing up, we thought that abiding in Christ meant closing the curtains, turning off the lights, lighting some candles, and laying on the floor until we had some sort of spiritual experience. And that's just foolishness. That's not abiding in Christ. That's just emotional, religious experiences that people have in all kinds of contexts all over the world. To abide in Christ just simply means to remain in him. Isn't that a relief? And that take the pressure off? Because who's responsible for keeping you in Christ? Is that you? No, Jesus says, I will not lose one that the Father has given to me. I keep my own. So that's relief. So that's what it means to abide, to remain. And he says, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. So now we have this kind of both and thing, right? We have us being in Christ and we know why we're in Christ. But he says, look, if you want a, a life that is bearing fruit by which my Father is glorified, my word must be remaining and abiding in you. It has to get in here. If there's going to be sanctification, transformation, we have to have the information, don't we? How can we love a God that we don't know? Fortunately, he has given us everything that we need to know him in his word. So he gets more specific on the, um, the order of things. And let, so let's go through it here. The first thing is that his words abide in you. So look with me back. I know you all have your Bibles open, so look with me back at verse 7. If you abide in me, so that's first, right? We're remaining in Christ. That's step one. That is, you've been saved by grace through faith. It is not your own doing. It's not by works that no man may boast. You are abiding and remaining in Christ. He is keeping you. We, we call that the perseverance of the saints, okay? And number two, and my words abide in you. So now we have the word of God dwelling in the believer. Meditate on the word day and night, right? Your word is like honey on my lips. So we have a believer who's abiding. The word is abiding in him or her. And in response to that, pray and ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, many people have jumped right to the ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you without there being any being in Christ and his word, his will, his commands, his desires, what he longs for, what he wants to take place in our lives and in creation and his plan for redemption being in us. So we don't just ask whatever we wish in our sinfulness and he, like a vending machine, just gives us whatever we ask for. But rather, there is this connection between being in Christ and knowing his will, knowing his commands, knowing his desires, by his word being in us, and us praying and asking God for him to accomplish his will. If you want to learn how to pray, start by reading your Bibles. If you want to know what to pray, open the book. When we talk about God's will, there's 
couple different ways we talk about it. We talk about his, his moral will. That, that is what he expects, what he wants us to be, through which our joy will be made full and he will be glorified. And then there is, is his will in the context of the, the things that, he, that happen, that are taking place. And so we don't claim to know the events of tomorrow that God is sovereignly ruling over, right? And so we don't know God's will for our country or his will for our church or even his will for your own life in, in where you will go or what you might do or how long you may live. But we do know what he expects of us. We know his will in that sense. We know his will in the gospel being proclaimed. We know his will in our lives bearing much fruit. How, how often and how much do your prayers center around the will of God being accomplished in your life and in the life of others? How often are your prayers, Lord, prune me shape me, conform me to the image of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we cannot or should not ask God for our needs. He is our Father. He provides every need that we have. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. If we earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our heavenly Father but Jesus did say, why do you even concern yourself with what you need? Your heavenly father knows your needs already. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything you need will be added onto you. So what are you even wasting time asking him for your basic needs anyways? He already promised to provide those. Now again, I'm not saying we can't or shouldn't ask. But here we have this very straightforward, abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask according to my word. Ask whatever you wish and, and it'll be done. Why? Because when the will of God is done in your life in response to your prayer that comes out of the word of God abiding in you and you bear much fruit by God answering those prayers, he is glorified. And that's the reason why you exist. That's the reason why everything exists. Does that progression make sense? Okay. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do. As we close, my, my sermon this morning was going to be 50 reasons to read God's word. And we were going to go through all 50 and I realized I'd never see any of you again if we did that. So, so my conclusion is going to be to start to read through these 50 reasons for, for you and I to be in the word of God every day next year. And I'm just going to stop whenever we get the point, okay? So I'm not going to give the, the scripture uh, references or anything like that. We're just going to go through them very quickly and then you just tell me to stop when you, when you get the point, okay? All right. Number one, to know God. Number two, to know our weakness. Number three, salvation comes by hearing. 
Number four, to be equipped to overcome the evil one. Number five, to kill sin. Number six, to keep us from error. Seven, to keep us from idolatry. Eight, to increase our worship. Nine, to treasure Christ. 10, to bear fruit. 11, to remember the gospel. 12, to be encouraged by God's faithfulness. 13, to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us. 14, to come alongside others. 15, to not be tossed around by false teaching. 16, to be aware. I can't read my handwriting. To be aware. Oh, to be aware of our doubts, 17, because it is sweet, 18, to know how we got to where we are today as believers, 19, to understand our relationship with other believers, 20, to understand the cosmic scope of the gospel, 21, because it is God-breathed, 22, because it gives life, it is life-giving, 23, to dismantle the lies that we believe about God. 24, to understand how we ought to live. 25, because the spirit works in conjunction with the word. 26, it is the revelation of the character of God, the revelation of the divine judgment, the revelation of the blessing of obedience, the revelation of the way of salvation. It is self-authenticating because the Bible can be known and understood. I guess I'm gonna get through all of them. To know what to sing, to know how to pray, to teach it to our children, to remember the hope to which we have been called, to share the good news with others because we are forgetful, because God made us this way to be dependent upon his word on a daily basis, to correct others with truth and gentleness, to be filled with joy, to see the world through the lens of the Bible, to receive grace and peace, that one's 2 Peter 1-2, to be approved by God, 2 Timothy 215 to be a worker approved by God by rightly handling the word of truth 43 because God has spoken in his word to feed our souls to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ to have it in our minds day and night so that we might meditate upon the scriptures without pause because we're too busy because we don't want to oftentimes because it seems boring because it is the way we know God we ought to be in the word on a regular basis. Do you need 51 reasons? Amen. Amen. There is so much more to be had in being in the scriptures on a regular basis than just it's expected of us. Let's pray. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the 
judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord, we long to be men and women who delight in your word and meditate on it day and night because it's in us. We want to be like a tree planted by streams of water, living water. So Lord, I I ask that you would help us to uh, remember the benefits and the blessing of being in your word. Remind us, Lord, that it is the means by which we know you, not the means by which we earn your favor, but because we have your favor, we are able to know you and delight in you through your word. And so Lord, would you um, protect us from our enemy and the constant judgment that we hear from his filthy lips Help us in moments where we feel as though you are disappointed in us for our past behavior and remind us, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning and that you see us, though we remain in our sin, you see us in the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the word that you have inspired for all of us here and all that are hearing my voice now and for all believers around the world, Lord, that in um, every season of life that we would be driven to your truth. Your word is truth. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen. Well, let's stand now. Let's sing in response to, uh, to this and we'll be dismissed.